Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. What's up, everybody? Happy holidays. Hope that your holiday is treating you well and you're ready to relax. As you listen to this episode of the Coast to Coast podcast from InsideCarolina.com, brought to you by Johnny T-Shirt. All right, thanks for being here, everybody. I'm Joey Powell, your host. This is the Coast to Coast podcast for InsideCarolina.com. And joining me, as always, the two guys that bring the heat, that bring the noise, that have the insight that you crave, Sean Moran and Sherelle McMillan. Sean, how are you, dude? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Um, man, I was, I was a lot better two hours ago. Sherelle, how are you? Yeah, I was a lot better before I picked six in overtime to end of the game. But I'm okay now. Yeah, I'm, I'm not okay, so maybe I'll get there in a few hours. Something that is okay. Tar Heel basketball getting a win against a, a Q1 opponent, or at least they should be a Q1. They were ranked when the Tar Heels played them. I do think this Ohio State team is good, but they beat a Citadel team earlier this week too, uh, beat them handily, had a lot of good things to take away from that. And we're now talking about a three-game win streak after a four-game lose streak, uh, losing streak. So guys, Cheryl, I'll come to you first. What was new about these two games for the Tar Heels? Um, I think, Ohio State is the most recent in our minds. I think what was new about that was kind of old in that it's the first time, and I hate to keep comparing stuff to last year. We're, we're 12 games in now. It was the first time you saw them kind of recreate some of that magic, um, just big play after big play, um, even down 14 when it didn't look good and some of us were, were writing you know, the obituary on the season, uh, <laughs> myself included, you know, they found a way to, to get back in the game. I think the concerning thing still is all last year we talked about variants, and I think it's still there this year in that, you know, the first five minutes of the first half, you know, they're up 13 to eight, looking pretty good. And then the huge Ohio State run and, you know, back down the roller coaster. And then they come out the second half with the hair on fire, up the roller coaster, get within one. And then slowly, you know, uh, Ohio State <laughs> takes it back up to 11 at one point. So I think still kind of the roller coaster thing is, is something that has to be worked out. But you have to give them a ton of credit for pulling that win out, all things considered, because they they looked 
they looked finished. They looked done. And um, that was really their last chance to get a high caliber win for some time, a realistic chance to get a high caliber win for some time. Yeah, and, and I guess the taking that a step further, if they had not gotten that win and had lost the game against Ohio State, at that point you're wondering, like, you know, is this team actually going to miss the tournament? Is this team actually looking at the same dire scenario that they were looking at in late February last year? Sean, what was your takeaway from that Ohio State game, uh, aside of, of, of just seeing a team kind of show some fight and show some moxie? What jumped out at you about about that win? And, and if you want to kind of pair it with the Citadel game, feel free. Sure. Well, definitely a lot a lot jumped out. I think the main thing was mental toughness. Uh, there were probably many, many times they could have folded it in. Um, yeah. You know, in the first half, start of the second half when when they cut it to, to one point right off the bat and then it, it, it balloons up, you know, similar to the Virginia Tech game where they cut it to three and all of a sudden it's seven and they can't, couldn't come back from that with a, a few minutes left. But this one, they just kept pushing. Uh, I mean, even at the eight-minute mark, right before UNC went to the, the full-court press, it, it felt pretty challenging given that anytime UNC would hit a few baskets, Ohio State would, would match them. Uh, and then, you know, to be able to get to overtime – uh, be able to take the lead in overtime and, and finish it out at the end, I, I think showed a mental toughness that we we probably hadn't hadn't seen in a while. Uh, the other two things, uh, Armando Baycott, just in terms of how well uh, he has been playing, uh, really from the Georgia Tech game, but even in the Georgia Tech game, it, it still didn't feel like he was as explosive uh, as he had been last year. And obviously he's doing dealing with his shoulder problem right now but the last two games I felt he looked really good and really crisp uh just running running the floor um and and just being back to you know the ACC player of the year that we thought he would be and then third thing uh you know they they put it on the on the broadcast but something we've been talking about is the assist to field goals made mm -hmm. uh that those the last two games the team has been uh sharing the ball moving the ball crisply uh there have been a, a few four shots but Within that, there's still been a lot more ball movement and a lot more playing together uh, than we had seen uh, over that over that five game uh, Portland and Indiana Virginia Tech stretch. So those those are probably the top three for me. Yeah, Shrill. I, I was gonna a couple of things to add. I think another thing I liked about it was that everyone who played had some kind of meaningful contribution. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, the big three: Caleb, R.J., and Baycott did the the lion's share of the scoring. Um, they each kind of had a stretch there where they, they kept UNC in it or, or pushed UNC forward. But then, you know, obviously Pete Nance hits the biggest shot of the game to send it in overtime. And then maybe Leaky Black hits the second biggest shot of the game, that three, um, to cut it to one. And, you know, I think everybody was kind of like, oh, no, what what is he doing? And I think we've fallen back to that, even though he's still shooting a great percentage. So um, he he had in, impactful plays. Um, Puff Johnson had a, a few impactful plays. So I think it was one of those team wins. And then the other thing for everyone who's who thinks we're being dramatic by saying it was a season saver or it was something um, that North Carolina you know really needed to win, mm -hmm. got a text from exchanging text with someone close to the program, and uh, you know I was just was like, hey, you know, awesome, good stuff, and they were like, I had to have it, and that's coming from someone close to the program. So yeah. that's not a situation where we're we're exaggerating the importance of that win on Saturday. It really could change the tenor of the season tremendously. Obviously, they have to. Um, continue to to um, build on it and validate it, but uh, for now it it's a, a huge feather in their cap to move forward. And I think 
confidence wise, it could help a ton too. Agree. I don't think you can understate the way that they came back and won that game yesterday. Um, Sean, I want to follow something you said there a second ago. You talked about Armando Baycott, uh, and I think you know that's that's been kind of the biggest aha. Pardon the pun, but uh, I want to share a tweet from our guy Brian Ives. He is at Away to Worthy on Twitter. Away to Worthy, the famous call by Woody Durham in the '82 championship game. Uh, at Brian Ives uh, or Brian Ives at Away to Worthy on Twitter. He shared this last night, and I love this stat. Armando Baycott took 16% of North Carolina's shots in his first eight games of the season. Armando took 23% of North Carolina's shots in the last three games of the season. I think that kind of gets to what you're getting at, Sean, about just how uh, when they start running more things through Armando. And keep in mind, against Ohio State, his first field goal didn't come until like eight minutes to, you know, eight minutes were gone in the game, I believe, was was the first time he scratched, or it may have been the actual eight-minute mark. Um and still, he finished with the strong box score that he did. Sean, is there a way that North Carolina can continue to to stress him or stress him being a part of the offense? And if so, is there a way they can do it with uh, without forcing entry passes? We still saw some forced entry passes against Ohio State, but I think they've done a lot better about focusing on him. How do you think they can continue to do that? Yeah, he he took nineteen shots, which is, you know actually wasn't the the highest on the team, but. We, we know the the guards are going to get their their shots up. And I think what we saw in the losing streak was it was focused on the guards and there there wasn't the inside out. It was it was outside. That was the focus. So I know starting with the Georgia Tech game, uh, a little bit of the focus on running the floor, but but also getting getting the bigs the ball early and working inside out, uh, you know, with with 19 shots, I still thought there were uh, plenty of opportunities in that second half, kind of that last eight minutes where they could have gone to him, uh, just given the E, well, not the ease, because everything he was doing was, was difficult. But with the height advantage he had on Zed Key, uh, you know, he, he was having his way down there. And towards the end, you could see almost, you know, the defeat look, defeated look that they would have anytime Armando dominated them down low. And I think there were, were some opportunities to get better shots. But I think going forward, um, you know, also when, when he did get the ball, you know, he was looking to pass if, if they're bringing double teams and that led to some, you know, some, some open shots. So I think once again, that's going to lead to better shots for, for the guards, um, and hopefully higher percentage shots, but also, you know, continuing to look to, to cut for guys like Leaky and, and others. So you have, you have a guy that, uh, for the most part is not going to be guarded one-on-one, save for a few teams and a few defenders and, He's going to put pressure on the defense. So I think he needs to continue uh, having that increased shot percentage and he continues, he will continue to need to have either the, you know, most shot attempts per game or, or right up there um, just given what he can do down low and, and hopefully uh, you know, how he's feeling as well right now. Shrell, I, I want to ask you, I saw something in the Georgia tech and Citadel games that I think, really helped the team against Ohio State. And that was Hubert Davis's use of the bench. I think we've been pleading for more of that. We finally did see Jalen Washington make appearance against Georgia Tech. And we saw you know, a really deep rotation against the Citadel this past week. But specifically, I think not just bench contributions, but the bench being able to play minutes in the first half allowed Hubert Davis to lean on his guys in the second half and kind of go back to that iron five for the second half and the overtime. Give us a little bit of an explanation about why that matters now in December. 
Yeah, it's you know it, it looked very Roy Williams ish yesterday, um, and the substitution, <laughs> which is very Coach Smithian, in the substitution patterns. Um, you know, I, I think there's a misconception that Roy Williams, you know, only played people 25 minutes a game as starters, and that uh, the bench guys got a whole bunch of time. Yeah, in the first half they usually did. And the goal of that was to, like you said, to keep his players fresh in the second half so that they could play those extended minutes. I remember so many games where, you know, Ty Lawson or Ray Felton or Wayne Ellington would play maybe 12 or 13 minutes in the first half. And you're kind of wondering, like, what what's going on? Are, are you trying to win? And then they play 19 in the second half. Mm -hmm. And the other team is a lot more tired, a lot more fatigued, whereas Carolina's guys were a little fresher. Um, and if you're going to go with this Iron 5 light concept, which it seems like UNC is going to need to, if you look at some of the numbers when there's one or two or three bench players on the court, um, then at least you have to buy some time in the first half to get the, those guys more rest than you did last year. And that's what happened, I think, with, with Puff and, and with Trimble and uh, Tyler Nickel to some extent. Just a, enough minutes just to give them the starters a, a breather, a break for a second, a chance to just slow down to get some Gatorade and, and just relax for a second, maybe even over the course of a TV timeout. So you have the kind of real time versus on court time rest. Uh, so I think that that was huge and, and, and really important because uh, like Caleb ended up playing 42 minutes <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and just those, those three minutes might, might have been enough for, you know, a couple of those passes or a couple of the free throws that he hit towards the end of the game and in, in overtime. Um, so I, I think it's a big deal. I do think, uh, you kind of have to come to grips with the fact that it's never going to be a situation again where, you know, it's, it's 25 minutes for the starters and 15 minutes for a few subs and they're going nine and 10 deep. I just don't think Hubert Davis is wired that way. And I, I don't think we'll see that at UNC at least this season. Um, so, you know, 35 minutes for the starters, spot minutes for the guys who come off the bench and, and hope that they are uh, not a net negative while they're on the court. Um, but yeah, I, it's more than he used it last year. So I think that's progress. Sean, I want to kind of drive into that a little bit further. When I saw this in real time uh, in the Ohio State game, I was like, all right, this is something we definitely want to talk to Sean about. Uh, one of the things I think Hubert Davis did in the second half of that game is as Ohio State was getting tired, and you could see those guys were gassed. I, I don't think I'm being partial when I say that Ohio State starting five looked gassed towards the end of regulation and into overtime. I saw Hubert Davis draw up a couple of plays where he was essentially isolating uh, two players in R.J. Davis and Armando Baycott and overloading the other side just to play a little two-on-two -two game with him. He went to that three times, maybe more. I haven't rewatched it yet. Is that something we could expect to see? Because we know he's got a penchant for doing things over and over again until you stop it. But that, to me, seemed like a coach trying to use the other team's tired legs against him. Is is that what's happening, or do you think that could happen more often, or is it just Hubert Davis, just a different guy? Yeah, well, we'll wait until uh, Trevor Marks does his his breakdown this week. But it, it looked you could see on the TV, uh, it looked like he was calling two five or twenty five floppy was what it looked like he was he was mouthing, and and they continued to run that on the right side, which resulted in RJ making a very decisive move from that that uh, the right wing where he mm -hmm. where he attacked the basket, got the layup. And then coming back, hit that huge three uh, mm -hmm. that he did. So, you know, I, I think you saw that. You saw uh, some other plays uh, coming from from the sideline out of bounds, et cetera. Um, so offensively, yeah, I mean, I think he has been, you know, going even going back to the Alabama game, there have been a lot of plays run, whether or not they were run correctly or got to, 
you know, different actions is, is another thing. But um, I think in general, he, you know, it seemed everybody was so locked in the, the Madison Square Garden, the Madison Square Garden crowd was electric and it seemed everybody was was focused, which which we had talked about, um, you know, coming into some of these past few games and with some of those calls or, you know, looking at Caleb to get him uh, a three, almost reminiscent of, of UCLA from that right corner as well. I think, uh, you know, were some things that were evident as you're watching, but also I think there are probably things evident that we didn't see um, that they were trying to do early on. But now when you have guys clicking, and I think that also goes back to the Citadel game, that they were able to get, they are able to take their starters out with seven or eight minutes left, mm -hmm. if, I, if I'm remembering correctly, which going back to last year has rarely, rarely happened because all, you know, they, they need the starters to be playing yeah. to the final minutes. Uh, and I think just that, that Citadel game helped tremendously in terms of getting everybody confident um, and getting everybody confident in what others can do. So it doesn't all have to be, um, you know, a one-on-five mentality. And then one thing to add defensively, and it didn't work because it gave up five points on two possessions, but in the once in the first half, once in the second half, Armando Baycott coming out of uh, really a pick and roll uh, blitz the, the, the mm -hmm. yeah blitz the point guard. First time I thought um, it was a travel offensively, but led to an open three, and then second time got around him. But I did like the aggressiveness, and it, it definitely surprised the ball handler both times. So I'd love to see a little bit more of that, just given UNC isn't isn't known for doing that really at all. Um, so I think continuing to implement some of those um, surprises on both offensively and, and defensively. And, you know, when they did do the trap, it was after the eight minute timeout. So there, you know, there was going to be a long stretch where unless Ohio state utilized one of their timeouts, you know, they were, they're going to be going for a few minutes uh, mm -hmm. almost reminiscent of, of some other things we've seen in the past where it comes after halftime or comes after a timeout. So that was long winded, but offensively, defensively, I think you saw, Heber Davis looking to shake things up and and try to do things a little bit differently. Yeah, you mentioned the Madison Square Garden kind of feel, and you know that's definitely an NBA arena. It's the mecca. It's the home of of basketball. Uh, there was a lot of Tar Heel fans there yesterday, and I want to give a shout out to anybody who's listened to this who made that trek and was there. Hey, you guys were loud. You guys were into it. That environment, at least from TV, sounded really amazing. And the fact that there were so many Carolina fans there tells me that there was a lot of Johnny T-shirt gear there. Um, I, I would I would bet dollars to uh, Strudel that there was, you know, at least 20% of the Carolina gear in there came from Johnny T-shirt and johnnytshirt.com. Uh, listen, we got like six shopping days left until Christmas. You've still got time. Hit Johnny T-shirt up. If they can't get it to you with their regular shipping, you can expedite it. Pay that little extra. Still have it at your house. Get it wrapped. All that good stuff. Or, better yet, swing by the store on East Franklin Street in Chapel Hill. They'll take care of you. They love Inside Carolina. They love uh, you guys who are Inside Carolina subscribers and listeners and viewers. So give them some love. Let them help you out with the shopping for the Tar Heel in your life. I promise you, you'll be very glad that you did so. Take a quick break. Let the National guys drop some ads in here. We're going to come right back, talk a little bit more about execution on the Coast to Coast podcast. I'm Joey Powell, Sherelle McMillan, Sean Moran with me. We'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, thanks for sticking around. Coast to Coast Podcast coming at you. Latest edition, Tar Heels, winners in overtime, 89-84 over Ohio State. That's our first Q1 win of the year. We just got done talking about kind of the way Hubert Davis is throwing some in-game changes and calling some things that Tar Heel fans may not have seen before, but it's actually working to this team's advantage. I think it's more about his style. Sherrill, this is not me bad-mouthing Roy Williams. All right, I want to get that out in the ether and make sure everybody can get that on the record. But I saw Hubert Davis call plays at the end of regulation yesterday that I don't think Tar Heel fans have ever seen executed that well in a long time. Uh, so I, I want to come to you, sir, and have you elaborate a little bit on what it means to have a guy that's X's and O's and can look at Jeff Lebo and say, hey, draw something up, right? And, and, and have it work and have the guys execute it. What does that mean for a team in, Dece- excuse me, in December? Well, it's, it's experience. It's, it's knowing that you have been in a situation before um, and that you were able to overcome it. Um, I think ideally they would not go to a play that they had never practiced before um, in a perfect <laughs> world, but that's the way it worked out on, on, on Saturday. I think, you know, the difference between sets and plays, I think a lot of people are, are confused about that. Um, obviously, Roy Williams did call a ton of plays. He had a lot of sets and there's a lot of freelance that mm-hmm. looked like plays because they're so familiar because we saw them over and over again, but they weren't set plays. I think that is more of a, a a new age kind of uh, modern thing to have a, a coach actually call plays, uh, especially in North Carolina, Hubert Davis using that NBA background um, that happens a lot in the NBA. So, uh, I, you know, it's, I don't want to say it's better. It's just, just different. Uh, um, mm-hmm. And the execution, you can definitely see it. You can tell um, outside of the, the most important play of the game, you can tell that that stuff has been drilled over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I think it shows a willingness uh, on Hubert Davis's part, one, to trust his staff, um, Brad Frederick, Sean May, Jeff Lebo, uh, to uh, integrate some of the things that they see. Uh, you know, I, I watched the, <clears throat> excuse me, I watched the Penn State Clemson game uh, that Lebo said he was watching um, for a different reason, but I watched it. And uh, a phenomenal play um, that uh, the coach at uh, Micah, the coach at Penn State, drew up. And if you read Matt Nor- Norlander's piece, you kind of get the history of the play. It goes all the way back to Butler um, in Boston because uh, uh, there's a Brad Stevens connection. Mm-hmm. At any rate, the point of that is that you see them integrating and just taking in all of these new things from different places. And uh, again, this is not a slight on Roy Williams, but when you win, you know, 75, 76% of your games, there's really no need to take in anything from other places. Um, but the willingness to to expand, to try new things, I think bodes well for UNC, for Hubert Davis. And You'll see them try stuff that they they see in the NBA, they see, you know, in the Australian League, and that they see from other teams, and and that's that's cool. It's absolutely cool. That's a great way to put it. And, and 
I'll be honest, I hated the last play. I thought like I didn't like the idea of you know of running a skip pass, which is very Dean Smith esque, but I didn't like the idea of of running that kind of skip pass across the court for a guy to catch it and, and hit a turnaround. But if it you, worked, right? If you look, like if you, if you look at the post game, and that's the other thing. I, sorry to jump in. Sure. If you listen to the point, the post game, Leaky Black and, and Armando Baycott both were like, "Eh, this ain't gonna work," and they were kind of in their <laughs> mind already planning on something when it didn't work. But now that they saw that it worked, that just yeah. builds more trust in the coaching staff and and more camaraderie and, and more belief. So it's it's definitely a good thing. But I'm with you. I was kind of like, hmm, that's an interesting it, call. It's but, so much. It's so much cred for that staff. Go ahead, Sean. I was gonna say. I did love the call, and I feel like Roy Williams used to do this a lot, But and I'm always surprised it doesn't happen more in college, but trying to get the ball to half court uh, mm-hmm. instead of throwing the ball inbounds and, and you know getting the ball, getting the guy on the run, and trying to take a, a 40-foot you know, leaner. Yeah. Uh, so that was – and from TV, you couldn't really see what was going on in the, the other half. All of a sudden, you just saw RJ emerge, take a dribble, call a timeout. But, um, you know, and even – and Ohio State made the basket. It looked like Armando was ready to throw it into Caleb and RJ, who were standing right there before, mm-hmm. you know, everybody started calling timeout. So that, you know, those two setup plays to get to uh, the Pete Nance fadeaway jump shot, also, uh, you know, were extremely, extremely important. And and in defense of Roy Williams, why were they able to do that? Because they're so used to getting the ball out of the net and getting it up the court as quick as possible, and because they didn't waste timeouts the rest of the game. Right. Well, that's I, I'd love. I mean, I'm I'm guessing right now Roy Williams is still on <laughs> on a, a ninth green somewhere calling timeouts just because he's got so many stashed up. But Sean, something that I don't think folks can can downplay is the amount of execution that goes into being able to get the ball to half court and get that timeout. Like R.J. Davis said in the post game, he had to have his heels down in the forecourt or they don't get to take the ball out right there. And that's that's stuff that, like Sherelle said, it comes uh, as the season goes on. All right, I'm going to let both of you guys answer this question before we look at Michigan and get out of here. Uh, I, I, I saw folks on social media during the game just, you know, again, ripping Caleb Love's shot selection. And, okay, I get it. You know, I feel like people don't like shots when he misses them. But I'm a firm believer uh, that Caleb Love is Caleb Love, and you can't get the shot over Mark Williams without getting some of the you know, quick, ill-advised shots. What I have seen is a player that has improved his game distributing the ball. Sherelle, what are your thoughts and feelings about Caleb Love so far this year as we sit uh, in, in late December? Yeah, it, it's been hit or miss. And um, I think you're, you're starting to see a more well-rounded Caleb Love, especially these last three games as UNC has kind of refined how it plays and gone back to trusting that Armando Baycott needs to be the focal point of the offense. Uh, You've seen him do a lot more dishing and driving. I think it's a good Mm -hmm. thing. Um, You've seen him, while he took 13 threes (laughs) on Saturday, um, there were only, there were probably three or four. I was just kind (laughs) of like, ah. What are you doing? But He's, he was the only the other, one making them. Yeah, he was the only one making them. But the other eight, you know, if he if he was shooting, you know, eight or nine, I'd be like, okay, that's fine. Thirteen might be a little high. Uh, you might want to see him drive a little bit more. But he he's doing that more than he did last year, driving to the rim. And now it's at the point where used to you could just play him to drive to score because he wasn't going to pass. I think now in team's mind they ha- they they have to sag off a little bit um, because he is making some of those passes. The the behind the back one. It worked, so that's good. 
maybe not the best play in the world, but it worked. Um, and a couple of others were just really, really great plays. I think the one in the second half to cut it to one to Armando Bacot, that is a that is a, a, a skillful play. Let's put it that way. Um, driving over, you know, around two defenders with his left hand, finding Baycott. Uh, so I said all that to say, I think he's coming around to being a more complete player. Um, mm -hmm. We haven't quite had this, the scoring explosions uh, mm -hmm. that we had last year, but I, I, I think that's not necessarily what North Carolina needs this year because it needs to be Armando Baycott focused every single game. Uh, Baycott only had, he had 19 shots and I'm like, should have had about 25 or 26 if we're being honest because they couldn't stop him. So just a concerted effort to, to get the ball to Baycott and, and loves doing that. And we have to give him credit. We, we, we as a basketball community are always down on him um, for his assist numbers and his turnover numbers, but seven to two yesterday um, mm -hmm. is impressive. Uh, so, you know, props to him. Uh, Sherelle, Sean, do you know who's leading UNC in, uh, in assists right now this season? I'm going to go with Caleb Love on, on how you phrase that question. You're a sharp, you're a sharp man, Sean. Uh, you've come to know me in my heart so well. He's got 45. The next, the, the second place person is R.J. Davis with 35. And so again, like I, I to to Sherelle's point, it's so much more rail wound, rail wounded. Get it? Rail wounded. Rail. Oh, Sherelle. Yeah, I get it. He's at five right. a game. That's more than I expected. Uh, again, and that's yeah. that's where you know that's where there, where people want to bag on him. Sean, your thoughts on Caleb Love, man? Yeah, well, staying on on the uh, pat you know passing passing note. He, last three games, three to one assist to turnover ratio mm -hmm. with with eighteen assists. So, I think you you've you've seen uh, you know coming that break that they had after the losing streak um, and a, and a new new focus. Hopefully that can continue. Once again, I think you know we're all pretty excited now about the comeback win. But if they lose to Michigan, uh, you know they they at least have that Q one win. But they need to still beat Michigan um, to kind of continue the momentum. But for Caleb. He was one for six in the first half, um, and it, he they weren't going to come back unless he started started playing well. And he he did turn it around defensively. I thought he did. He had a very strong game defensively. Uh, you know, Ohio State wasn't. At, they set a lot of ball screens, but it was easier to get through them. And and we talked about teams targeting Caleb in the past, but he was I, I thought very strong on ball against Ohio State and played with a lot of energy. Uh, throughout, uh, and then, you know, just going back offensively, the one one for six, he finished eight for twenty. To to Shrell's point, there was I counted three threes that he probably could have done without one being from the CBS Sports mm -hmm. logo. The other, where he, uh, I wouldn't really call him getting dunked on because he was a little late on the help, and it wasn't like he fully went for the block, but you could see the trash talking going on, and you knew <laughs> you knew Caleb was going to launch, even though the mm -hmm. uh, him and Sensabaugh <laughs> weren't guarding. Um, so, you know, once again, I think a little bit of an improvement in the shot selection, a reduction of those deep NBA threes, but he has been playing a lot better. And even two of the shots he missed where he attacked the basket, you saw the explosiveness in the first step that mm -hmm. you haven't, you know, each year has gotten a little bit better in terms of that ability to directly attack the rim. And I think the first one, it looked like he was going to try to throw it down and he, he just altered his body in midair to to try to adjust, but um, you know, he was a big reason that they came back in the second half and hit some big shots. And I think hit, you know, Caleb along with the team played very well, but there's still, um, you know, say they're at 80%, there's still that 20% that they can continue to improve on and, and reach that full potential. All right. Before we get out of here, Sean, this is my Christmas present to you, sir. 
I'm going to allow you to talk about Michigan, ba- Michigan basketball. The Tar Heels will be playing the Wolverines uh, in the Spectrum Center in Charlotte on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Sean, what can we expect? Uh, I, I know Michigan's lost three games. Two of them were to ranked teams. They lost by a bucket to UVA, by four to UK, but got their doors blown off at Arizona State. Sean, get us ready for the thrill that is more Big Ten basketball against Michigan Wednesday night. <laughs> well, you know, they, they, they played Michigan at home at home last year. Obviously, Hunter Dickinson is, you know, that, that's going to be a, a battle. Last year, I know Michigan fans weren't weren't pleased with the foul trouble that he got in, so it wasn't a true uh, team takeover battle with uh, mm-hmm. Dickinson and Armando going at it. Uh, so I'd have to imagine we see we see more of that. You know, when they did lose to UVA, it was kind of the two sides of of Michigan. They they put up 45 points in the mm-hmm. first half against UVA, which doesn't happen all you know doesn't really happen that often. And they were they were hitting, uh, playing very well, and then the second Second half, they were held to 23, and they came, definitely came back down to earth. Um, you know, I think Hunter Dickinson, obviously the the main piece that that gets them going. But I, I've been impressed by Jed Howard, uh, Jawan's son. Um, you know, six, 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 seven wing. So I would expect to see Leaky on him and looking to make his his life tough. Uh, you know, and then they they have a few other players. Uh, one being. A guy that everybody's vastly familiar with, and, and Joey Baker, who's been <laughs> been playing well, been playing well off the bench. Um, yeah. So you know, thirteen minutes had, a game, Sean. Thirteen minutes. That's a lot, a lot, a lot of time compared to what it, he was seeing in Durham. Yeah, I was saying that's probably ten more minutes than he was seeing last year. But in, in terms of Michigan, similar profile to Ohio State, not as strong offensively, but a top twenty-five offensively, uh, number ninety-one defensively on Ken Palm. So once again, the, a team that. UNC, you know, this is a team would love to see in the tournament where it'll probably be a little bit more up and down, a little bit more free flowing, less mm-hmm. bumping and grinding, which, you know, we saw in the Indiana and Iowa State game. So, uh, you know, UNC has a good, good chance here to make it two in a row against Big Ten teams and get another much needed win uh, going into going into the ACC play. But uh, last thing I'll say, got, they have to control Hunter Dickinson and, you know, Make, make just kind of push push Michigan off off the three point line from from getting open threes and 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 force them to to drive and take contested shots. Well, I know nothing would make you happier than to see two back to back Big Ten losses uh, against North Carolina. Sherelle, before we get out of here, uh, I know folks are asking because the Tar Heels just played in New York and there's some recruiting ties to New York. So why don't you give us a little bit of a recruiting note? I know that Isle of Palms just took place this past weekend. <laughs> What can you tell us about UNC recruiting right now? Um, before I do that, I just want to see Terrence Williams, uh, Pete Nance. That's the matchup I'm interested in because that's that's the tough cover for Pete Nance. Um, recruiting wise, so UNC obviously was in New York for a few days, and they got there Wednesday night, Thursday morning. Um, and Isaiah Harwell, who's a 2025 guard, um, plays out in Utah. His team actually was in Brooklyn in a tournament, and uh, I believe UNC went out to see him um, on Friday night. Uh, Jeff Lebo, we know, stopped by uh, Christ the King to see, excuse me, Cardinal Hayes to see uh, Ian Jackson, who's scheduled to officially visit UNC in about three weeks. Um, so he's a 2024 guard, but there's a chance that he could reclassify as well. So they're keeping tabs on them. Um, and then uh, we confirmed that Lebo flew down to City of Palms, uh, I think like right after the game or earlier today. Uh, Elliot Cadeau and Boogie Flynn both played today. Uh, Stepanak, where Boogie Flan goes, they won on Friday. They lost today. 
Link Prep won today. I think Cadeau had 15 points, nine or 10 assists. Hmm. Um, one, tur- one watched, turnover. One turnover, yeah. I watched him last week, too, just um, trying to get from, more familiar with his game. Uh, same thing with, with Boogie. and Because uh, we have a lot of these kids we haven't seen play since late July, early August. Um, and Cadeau is just – he's just a really smooth, you know, kind of in-control, calm point guard. Um, and I think his assisted turnover numbers kind of show that. Um, Boogie, just his his skill level, his scoring level, uh, ability to score kind of jumps off whenever you watch him. Um, so it's been fun to kind of get back into it and, and watch a lot of these guys play. Um, they both have games. Uh, I think Boogie, they both have games on Tuesday, I believe. Um, so I'm sure the UNC staff will maybe be around for um, tonight and, and maybe Monday. Additionally, a local note, Charlotte uh, Myers Park High School out of Charlotte is down there playing well. They won their first game, and they have a, a, a roster full of D1 players. I think one of the ones that's most interesting is Sadiq White. He's a 2025 guard slash forward. Had a big game on a national stage, I think 15 points, 10 rebounds, and like five blocks. Um, was it yesterday or today? Either yesterday or today. Um, but kind of a coming out party for him. And we know Jeff Lebo has been down to Charlotte to see him before. So just a few notes uh, on those guys. And uh, the John Wall Invitational will kick off in a couple of weeks. The Chick-fil-A Classic will kick off in a couple of weeks. And we'll we'll be monitoring all of those and, and be at a couple of them. And I'm sure if there is news to be shared, the man in the red shirt, as you see this on YouTube, will have it for you. Guys, anything else you want to add before you get out of here? Sean, I know you've got to go deck the halls, man. You got two cents for us, or are you good to go? Uh, the only thing I'll add is, is the bench play. Um, I think they're going to continue to improve, especially the, the young guys in terms of just ex- figuring out what they're really good at and expanding their roles. We know Trimble's a great on-ball defender, still waiting for him to, you know, showcase some of his, uh, great finish, his finishing ability at the rim. Um, and then Tyler Nickel obviously played great against Citadel, um, misses two threes, but love how quickly he's either looking to get a shot up or move the ball or attack. Uh, and then defensively, had that, uh, you know, the, the block that w- was pretty impressive. Even though he got scored on by suing a few times, like I mean, there were tough, tough shots that he hit. And and Nickel, you know, there wasn't really anything Nickel could have done more on those. So looking forward to seeing him continue to improve uh, and, and give the Tar Heels a little spark off the bench. Shrill, you got a couple pennies you want to throw at us on the way out the door? Yeah, one. Um, one's very serious, one's not. So the, the first one, to Sean's point, I feel like a lot of Ohio State shots were just tough shots. There, there weren't mm-hmm. many where they were just wide open or North Carolina was filling about. There were a few of those, but it felt like they just made a, a bunch of shots. So um, I'd love to see when Adrian reviews the, reviews the film, just w- what his numbers say about UNC's defense. Um, secondly, kind of a, a, a heavy, heavy note, but I think sports and, and basketball always brings us together. Um, so Brett Thompson, who's a former uh, IC mm-hmm. intern, lost his father on friday um had a, a a battle with some stuff and uh just let him know we're, we're thinking about him and then personally two close friends jonathan and chris peel lost their mother also on friday um all these guys are are huge carolina fans and it was yeah it was interesting to to text with them and, and talk with them on saturday after the win um just how something as trivial sports can can lift moods and spirits in dire times so just wanted to to give them a shout out, and um, it's a good reminder for me personally <laughs> that while this is very important, it's not very important. Well, what is very important is I think you know all of those guys are certainly in our thoughts. Um, yeah, if you'd like to send messages to those dudes, if you know them, send them up. Um, but I think it's also cool to 
to hear somebody like Brett talk about how much he and his dad bonded over sports. Um, so to that end, um, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned those guys. Definitely want to say we're thinking about them. And all I would say to everybody is, especially this time of season, but all the time, check on your people. Make sure everybody's okay. Let them know you love them. Uh, if you get a chance, hug on them. Tell them how much you appreciate them. And if you get a chance to bond over Tar Heel sports, then please do. And if it's not, then find something else you can bond with because we only got one trip around the only got one trip around this life. So make what you can out of it. But I'm going to get out here on a positive note tonight. Hope you guys all have really good holiday seasons. I hope you get everything you want. I hope you're around everybody you want to be around. And I hope that uh, you can make some meaning out of this season with those that you care about. Uh, Sherelle, Sean, appreciate you guys. Appreciate what you do for this show. Appreciate all that you bring to the show because you carry my sorry ass around all the time. So I'm thankful for you. And uh, and for those listening and viewing, we appreciate you being a part of this family. Appreciate you being a part of of our little network and our little um, our little universe that we have here on the Coast to Coast podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, best wishes to all of you for the holiday. We'll talk to you sometime very soon on the next edition of the Coast to Coast podcast. For Sherelle McMillan, for Sean Moran, shout out to John Siegley for producing and to Johnny T-Shirt for sponsoring. I'm Joey Powell. Y'all have a good holiday season. Catch you next time. Late. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.